Hi, I'm Daniel Budai, and this is the Ecom Show, a podcast where you can learn more about the world of high-performing e-commerce players and marketers. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. Let's grow your e-commerce business together. Hey everyone, I'm here with Tim Kiro in the next episode of the Ecom Show, and Tim is an he's an amazing guest. Um, I know him for I think for almost two years, and he helped our agency a lot and uh, indirectly our clients a lot. How to how to build our uh, team and and how to help um, e-commerce clients and. Tim has decades of experience in e-commerce and the agency world, and I, I, I've been really waiting for this uh, this episode and this talk with him because he can uh, he he has so many things to share with our audience, with e-commerce business owners and marketers. So I I won't um, I won't waste time here and and let, let's jump into the questions and to the into the topics. But first, Tim, um, how how did we meet? And and uh, please tell us a bit more about yourself and your past, because actually you have a long long history in marketing and in the world of business. Yeah. So uh, thanks for pointing out the fact that I'm old. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> um, so I started doing digital marketing in 1997. Um, you know, that's a little wow. bit longer than Google has been doing it. Um, and you know, I started, I I worked for a a search engine and serviced, uh, at that point, uh, you know, e-commerce clients. Uh, and then as time went on, I, I worked for this, this big white label search engine. Uh, and then in the, after the dot-com crash, uh, I actually started my first agency in 2001. Um, Mm -hmm. and I serviced mostly e-commerce clients. Um, and then uh, that agency got bigger than I got smart, and it killed me. So I so it it crashed pretty hard. And after that, then uh, then I had to go get a real job, which was just terrible. I worked at a startup doing uh, doing mobile aware search. So uh, again, servicing e commerce folks. Um, and then I started another agency where we serviced exclusively e commerce folks. Um, and then uh, exited out to an agency that predominantly serviced e-commerce folks. And, uh, and then after that, I jumped over to the client side for a while. I worked at Wayfair and then was the CMO of Karma Loop, which is a $200 million fashion brand or was a $200 million fashion brand at the time. And uh, after that, I started another agency and exited that to, uh, to Tenuity, which, is, um, uh, which predominantly works with e-commerce folks. So I have spent an extraordinary amount of time I've honestly, I have been thinking about e-commerce problems since 1997, honestly. Hmm. Wow. Um, so that's 23 years and I, I'm sure you could see a lot of trends. Uh, now we are in the era of Facebook ads, let's say, or, or probably most e-commerce businesses, they do their acquisition through Facebook ads. But how, how was it uh, back then, in, you know, in the late 90s? What, what worked back then? And what worked in the, after the millennia um, um, in the, in the yeah. 2000? So, so I'm really curious what trends you can see, it's especially in terms of acquisition, because if I know well, your agencies, you did, uh, you held e-commerce businesses, businesses with acquisition, not retention, like our agency. So right. I'm, I'm really curious what trends you could see. And yeah, that, that, this would be my first question to you. Yeah. So, so in a lot of respects, the, the channels have changed, but the, tactics or sorry, the tactics have changed and the channels have changed, but the intent has not. So uh, back in 1997, a super awesome strategy was to buy a keyword on AOL. Um, You know, so you would, so you basically, you could show up, um, you know, when someone typed into something on America online, you would show up first. And that was a, and for a lot of people in the nineties, AOL was the internet. 
by 1997, things had started to change a little bit, but we were still focused on these kind of very large portals, which uh, the places like Excite.com and Yahoo and AT&T and even Microsoft had, had its portal or Lycos, which I'm sure you you don't even know what that is. Uh, so yeah. so there was there were th- these sort of aggregation points um, uh, of content where basically people put up the news and they're trying to be your homepage. Um, and from those spots, there was uh, a fair amount of display advertising plus some search. And that's primarily how people acquired uh, customers was was through search and 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 to a lesser extent display. Um, but neither was nearly as smart as it was today. Uh, email was still a still a really powerful. Uh, uh, it was really powerful, though. At you know at that point, it really was not. Uh, it was not very gracious. It wasn't very personalized. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't HTML for the most part. Uh, yeah. There, was, you know, there was a lot of lot of just text only emails, um, and uh, you know, depending upon how you got your, <laughs> in, in which way you got your email, uh, you got a maybe a different version of uh, you know your your Hotmail display might be different than uh, your Comcast.net display or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and. and- uh- and and frankly, the you know the the emphasis honestly was the same. You know, people spent much more time thinking about acquisition than they did retention. And I think part of that comes from the fact that almost everybody who was doing e-commerce at the time had some sort of traditional retail background, and. In traditional retail, once you got somebody into the store, they were your customer. You didn't have to work super hard to get them back because you either won because of sale or location. And that sort of paradigm, uh, you know, persisted honestly for quite a while. I mean, that paradigm is actually, it's still prevalent today that people are thinking the only way to get people to, to, to get customers to engage is through big giant discount uh, or or be in your face kind of high position marketing but uh, agencies like yours are really driving a better sense of relationship and continuity and and connection which honestly should have been there the entire time yeah yeah um yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And uh, just today I connected OmniConvert and they also focus on this area. I know you also talk to them. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, OmniConvert, great, great, great company, smart new product called Reveal. Terrific stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's just becoming more and more important, but still most, most e-commerce business owners in the in the SMB uh, arena, they they don't really understand why retention is so important. And um, every time I talk to many, many e-commerce folks and we talk about this topic, um, they focus on acquisition, generating traffic, getting their sales, and and the customer experience is far from perfect. And and, uh, yeah, they they have to improve on those. Right, and... Um, and and part of, I mean, a, a big reason for that is measurement. It is easy to measure same channel sales. And so people do that. I spend $2 on Facebook ads and I get $4 back. Woohoo. Therefore, that's what I'm focused on because I can understand that. And it's discreet. And, you know, it doesn't hurt my brain to think about it. Uh, whereas acquisition is more nuanced because you, in order to be good at acquisition marketing, or sorry, uh, retention marketing, as you know, is there's a sequence. You have to understand this particular consumer came to us through this channel, looked at those products, purchased this one. Now, what do they need? 
And that's way more complex than throwing out sale, sale, sale. And, and also it's uh, because you are not looking at it as a, as sort of a cohort, you're looking at this big channel, you're, you know, you're uh, emailed as a big channel. You're not really thinking that it's driving your business. You're almost thinking that it's collecting money that you would have picked up anyways. But as we all know, that's, that's not the case. Because if you don't send great email, you don't generate great email revenue. Yeah. Uh, do you think retention problem is an attribution problem? They are tightly connected that people, they don't understand retention, why it's important, partly because they don't understand attribution models and, and cohorts. And uh, as you said, um, they should think in more like multi-channel or, or omni-channel, not just in single one channel where they, um, you know, throw money on the ads and they can see the ROI the next day. So do you right. think these so, are so, connected? So, so, um, so attribution is a, attribution is kind of a funny word because it's not actually attribution that that's at the core of it. It's a mental model issue. Because, and this is, this is, um, I think that many e-commerce retailers have an inflated sense of their own brand and they don't really understand the amount of noise that their target consumer is, is fighting against. And so there is, and this was very true in, this has been true throughout my career, uh, where Clients think that the hard part is acquisition because they are so good at servicing the customer and communicating with the customer that the backend revenue is already locked down. And that just isn't the case. I mean, it, if you are a retailer, it feels like the case because you send an email and you get revenue. So you think it's easy, but as advertising has ramped up, and targeting has gotten better, the consumer ha who has just purchased from you has given off all kinds of signals to every other marketer that they are in market. So suddenly, even if you've just made a purchase as a consumer, you are now a high interest target for every other retailer, frankly. So people... So, so what, uh, so functionally what happens is that the assumption that you have got retention figured out because your customer experience and your brand is so strong, even if that's true, even if your brand is phenomenally strong and your customer experience is great, there is so much acquisition noise hammering away at your customers and it's more pointed, more targeted and more effective than ever before that. If you don't create a great relationship and an ongoing conversation with your customer, honestly, they're going to, they're going to fall apart. They're going to go away. They will be distracted by somebody else who is yelling sale or new or shiny louder than you are. And, and if you were not powerfully intent on, on sort of magnifying your impact as a retention marketer, if you're not really focused on, on the fact that you have this very intimate space of the inbox or the SMS screen, uh, or to, I think to a lesser extent, Facebook uh, messaging, but if you were not, if you were not focused on honoring the intimacy of that communication, then your, your customers that you paid so much money to get are actually going to be pulled away by other people who have who are shouting louder because you didn't honor the communication intimacy that was awarded to you with that purchase. Yeah, it's 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 like a relationship with a girl or or with a with a boy. It's very similar. You have to nurture the relationship if you want to have it for long term. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and also uh I think another reason why Another reason why retailers are very focused on acquisition mm -hmm. 
because it's very abstract. There's, you know, it, it sort of like shows up, you know, you create your ads and then they go out into the world and you, and as a marketer, you don't actually see the context in which your potential clients or potential customers are, are seeing that information. And so you, you're thinking about it less. You think, you know, we've made the ads, our job is done, and now it's a bid optimization strategy from here on out. Whereas in email, you can't buy more attention. You have to earn it. So in retention marketing, you have to earn the right to the second transaction or the third transaction. And you have to do that by communicating clearly and comfortably and, and genuinely and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, whereas even if your ads aren't terrific, you can increase volume, your transactional volume by spending more. So it's just, there's an easier lever to pull. And because fundamentally people are lazy, the thing that is easy and obvious is going to get more of your attention. Yeah, you cannot spend more on emails and send more emails. You have to have a list right. from somewhere. Exactly. And, and yeah, as you said, on traffic, you can throw more money on Facebook ads, Google ads, and you can scale it. Even if the ROI is not, not really good, you can exactly. still scale. So yeah, that's very interesting. It's more like, probably it's more like a quality game than, than ads email marketing, SMS marketing, especially SMS. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so annoying most SMS uh, messages these days. So it's quite interesting to see. And same with other uh, channels on the back end, even uh, CRO, I think that's a very quality game. Um, and, and you have to really, you, you have to message very well with your customers and with your subscribers. So that's very interesting. Yeah, so 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 see, there. I mean, there's two kinds of of CRO, by the way. There's uh, there's conversion rate optimization, which is essentially uh, sort of data driven UX adjustment, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, this this font is bigger, that color is different, the picture's mm -hmm. in a different spot, whatever. Yeah, very technical, uh, right? Uh, well, actually, it's, I mean, it's not that technical, really. It's just it's it's really you're you're trying to measure the impact of a single variable. So it, it data driven, right? Word. Right. But um, that's like those those sort of improvements, by the way, are are short lived. You know, you can you can sort of increase your your conversion rate, but you're not increasing the quality of your communication with your clients. So there's 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 conversion rate optimization, which is sort of the, oh, I don't know. That's like, a, that's like the very mechanical way of doing it. But you yeah. should also think about, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's, let's, I'm going to make up a brand new term here. Um, let's call it a, a, a communication quality optimization, CQO. Um, so, right. So, Better so it's, it's writing you know, images. Yeah, wait, so how do you communicate? What, you know, are, is, the, is what you're saying, um, you know, does it resonate with your brand promise? It, is, it, is it resonating with your, with your target audience? Um, you know, is it clear? You know, are, you, are you selling features or benefits or both? Um, you know, uh, are, you, are you making it easy for other, for other folks to to sort of functionally, uh, you know, figure out, um, uh, you know, functionally to figure out the, the intent of what you're trying to do. I mean, there's, there's a lot to it that, that I think requires much more thinking and much more empathy and much more focus than technical optimizations. Yeah. And it takes more time to learn it, right? Um, in my experience, to to really improve on your empathy, understanding the market, people, your 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 position in the market. Well, I don't know if it if it requires more time to learn it. It certainly requires more ownership, mm -hmm. uh, and it requires more 
focus because you know because you can you can functionally kind of outsource the technical CRO stuff to somebody who may or may not understand your brand and your customer because they are looking at nameless faceless sessions but when you're thinking about this uh, communication quality that requires a point of view and that requires ongoing reexamination of of who you are to your customer and and that's hard it doesn't necessarily take any more time than switching buttons but it's hard because it requires you to constantly think it's not a mechanical exercise it's an emotional exercise and you arguably have to put yourself in the uncomfortable situation of hearing negative feedback from your clients from your customers yeah you know uh, two episodes ago i talked to roop who is a video marketer but he also handles facebook ads mm-hmm. youtube ads and we talked about the same exact topic that these days small companies they are focused on numbers too much especially you know when you go to facebook ads and you can see roi ctr all of these numbers and they miss out on the understanding of the emotions and who you are to your uh, audience right. and it's quite interesting to hear and this topic comes to my next question um and and also two episodes ago roop this guy told me that the main difference one of the main differences between small and medium businesses versus big brands he also worked with uh, jaguar and rolex and bigger brands mm-hmm. the main difference between them they they have a solid brand and they understand the emotions and what they really represent to their audience while the while the small businesses they focus on the numbers and and they don't they cannot see beyond the numbers what do you think what is what is the main difference how an smb a small company six seven maybe eight figure companies market versus big nine ten figure brands market uh, so let's let's let yeah so Especially so online marketing yeah so functionally the difference is patience because Uh, and business maturity so an immature business so that's a business that is still trying to figure itself out you know figuring out really who their customer is what their brand promise means what their merchandise selection should be you know that you know what, what like <laughs> who are they if you if you took away the products that they sell who are they Um, if you don't really have who are they to their their customers uh, if you don't have that figured out yet mm-hmm. you ha- like you you probably don't have deep pockets and so you can't be patient so uh, you know brands people who are doing brand advertising like Jaguar that you mentioned they're doing two things they are spending money for awareness knowing that their target audience the people who are actually going to buy a jaguar they're in there somewhere and they're just reminding them and their profit margin and their the scale of that margin is sufficient for them to be able to pay several thousand or tens of thousands of dollars to get that acquisition Additionally, they know that spending and broad awareness actually creates uh, sort of a, um, an aspirational market. So people who wish they could afford a Jaguar. And so for those people, people who are aspiring to be part of that, that Jaguar club, you know, they might stretch and buy a Jaguar because it means something. They might stretch financially to do it in a way that, if, you know, that they wouldn't for an equally priced car from whatever Chevy. Um, so, so there is a, so there's Jaguars playing a much longer game. Um, whereas if you're talking about a poorly capitalized company, a, an e-commerce retailer, who's doing, I don't know, $150,000 a month, they are still living hand to mouth. And so 
every dollar that they have tied up in inventory needs to get liquidated as quickly as possible because their cash flow isn't as good. So they are much more transactionally focused because that release that re, that releases their their sort of their that that sort of liquefies their blood, right? You know, it, it gives them the energy of their inventory dollars back into their business because inventory that's sitting on a shelf, well, it's technically an asset. It ties up all your cash, so it's not very liquid. But once you make a transaction, suddenly you unleash liquidity and you can then go attack more things. So until your business has enough wherewithal to be able to have the confidence to know that you're going to turn your inventory, you have to be focused on transactional dollars because honest to goodness, if you're not, you like you run out of daylight, you end up with illiquid inventory and expenses that need to be satisfied in real time. And so you have to be focused on, on transactions at the beginning, but the smart business realizes that you can't invest every bit of liquid cash into acquisition because a large portion of your acquisition clients will never return. So what you need to do is, is, you know, sort of emotionally pull out some part of that acquisition budget and think, oh, I'm going to use these dollars to reacquire the people that I've already transacted with, because that's what they really need to be thinking about retention marketing is is while you are in fact extending and creating a deeper relationship, what you're really doing is reacquiring that customer. Except the mechanism is different. The mechanism is around you know connection and relevancy rather than than flash and awareness. Because you've already bought the awareness, now you have to you through your effort, you have to buy the right to that second transaction. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. I think what you mentioned, um, it's a great exercise that you should think about who you are for your audience if you, if you didn't have any product, yeah. what, what they think of you and who, who you are for them. That's quite interesting because probably that's your brand, right? Yes, exactly. Right, because you're, the, the, the products that you sell are a, like they're a subset of your brand, right? Your like your brand is an idea, and the like and the products that you sell are they're they're the they're the 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 brand made. Well, no, actually, they're just they're just the the mechanism by which people engage with your brand. But your brand is is an idea. That's yeah, it. It's very abstract. It's very abstract idea. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, so but. You know, ideas, first of all, ideas are really, really powerful. You know, democracy, money, love, you know, these are all ideas. They're very abstract, but they're incredibly powerful. Fear. The most powerful. Probably. Exactly. Not, not, not physical things like, uh, you know, like a cap or, or a laptop or, or a microphone or anything. Exactly. Or a telephone, but... Uh, you know, there is Apple and you think about their values, that's much more powerful than the, uh, than the iPhone itself. Exactly. Exactly. Or what it, it's, it's actually, it's about how you, it's how you see yourself as part of that, uh, as part of that community rather than, than the community itself, because most people are purchasing, uh, they, they make the decision to purchase from a brand because it says something about who they are. And so it's a, it, you know, for brand sensitive purchases, it is in fact, uh, it's, it's an act of self-identification. What can uh, someone do who starts out a brand and they don't have the big budget and, and 
they have to do the transactional work at the beginning to stay alive and to grow the business, but they still want to build a brand and have this identity. Yeah. These values. So, so that they, it's exactly the same as, as somebody who is trying to convince you of something. You have to talk about it. You have to, you know, you have to explain it. Uh, you need to make sure that your actions coincide and, and, you know, and, and back up the, the ideas that you're, you're saying. So you really have to think about how your actions reflect on the idea that you're trying to create. So if you're trying to create a brand that is, you know, fun and cheeky, you can't be boring in anything you do. If you're trying to create a brand that is, uh, you know, is socially aware, socially conscious, you probably shouldn't be selling stuff that's made in sweatshop factories in China, um, yeah. right? So, so there's there's an intentionality about it. So you have to make sure that your brand and the things that you say and the things that you do and the things you communicate about are, uh, you know, sort of mesh with that idea. Because if you don't, frankly, then then honestly, you, then your then your idea will never will never gain traction. So you have to invest. You know, you you have to invest with your actions, and and that may be you know if you're dropping a note into a uh, into a, a a box that you you know that you're shipping out, or it could be a, you know a personal email to a customer, or it might be deciding to create a customer of the month where you get to know a customer. And promote them, and show you know how, and show how cool the people that buy your products are, because you know there's an alignment between their, you know, their coolness and your brand or something. But it's it's really it's about intentionality. Brands don't happen accidentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's uh, go to our next topic, and it's much more recent. So. What 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 do you think? What changed in the world of business because of COVID nineteen, and what trends emerged, and what you expect in the next few months? That's a great question. Uh, so so what has changed? Um, number one, I think that we've taken down the. F- the frothiness or the fever pitch of, of business and realized that commerce is part of our lives. It's not the biggest part of our lives. Uh, so I think that there's been a little bit of right sizing in terms of the, the, the amount of thinking that we're giving to commerce. Um, and that's actually evidenced by, by this, um, very few people flipped out when Amazon stopped delivering things in a day or two. And if it was going to take you three weeks to get your thing, okay, that's great because there's bigger stuff going on. So I think it helped sort of right, uh, it sort of helped uh, right size the, the connection between consumers and commerce and the, like the real unseen benefit of that is that gives a space for marketers to communicate with their clients and figure out what, you know what their customers really want and and because things were just moving a little more slowly and i don't really think that uh, there is going to be the same sort of rush back to i must have this immediately hmm. um also uh, I read somewhere that um, uh, the reason why Amazon had to slow down their shipping was because, first of all, they were jammed with things that they deemed to be more important, but it's because they were working with today's infrastructure. So they've taken the past, let's say, what four or five months and and pushed ahead their infrastructure five years. So... Uh, it will be the, the sort of the post COVID reality will be uh, that Amazon has an even bigger logistic advantage over 
other retailers that it'll make it, I think, functionally impossible for any but the biggest brands to ignore playing on Amazon. Um, and it will, in fact, help it will in fact create help create retailers that are more in touch with their clients because you know that there are still bazillions of drop shippers in the world who are ordering things from a factory in China and it's taking you know three to six weeks to arrive at the destination but of course the retailer collects the money today um and and I think that sort of I think the the tolerance of that sort of disconnect where uh, where the where the where the marketer takes the money but ignores the experience I think that customers will be less willing to uh, to sort of go through that long unknown wait without more transparency. Uh, and more updates and more communications. I don't think that we necessarily you necessarily need to take your, you know, if you do have a drop shipping model and you are having experience with those long lead times, um, I don't know that you necessarily have to change it, but you do need to change the amount of value and attention that you give to your purchasers so that they are more comfortable spending their money in this way. So I think what we have experienced um, is that communication matters more now more than ever, honestly. And it can be communication around the transaction. It can be communication around concern. It can be communication around brand. It can be communication around reactions, what, whatever. But I think that that the communication has actually become significantly more important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the same. And, and customer experience. Do you think uh, the entry level of e-commerce also it increased and it will increase in the next years? Um, uh, yes and no. Or barrier, so, that's right. So, um, so there are still plenty of ways to source products um, and, and sort of not... And sort of not focus on sort of the uh, you know buying inventory and being in that that place where you need to focus on inventory turn. So I do think that actually some some uh, fulfillment stuff will get better over time. So there will be less of a uh, of an issue between uh, between retailers that own inventory and those that source inventory in real time. That being said, the bar did raise because it things are now less certain so i think that as a retailer or a marketer you have to earn more trust than you did five or six months ago and certainly as the as the economic realities of covid become more clear I mean, I don't, I don't know uh, what it's like in Hungary, but in the United States, more than 40 million people have applied for unemployment and um, things have been okay because the, the government has propped up unemployment with a $600 a week payment. That's ending at the end of July. And it is very, it, it's very likely that all sorts of, of consumer demand will leave the market simply because people don't have the money because those 40 million jobs are not yet back in the economy. So it does take, it's, it's going to, you know, we haven't, we haven't felt the full effect of COVID. So I think, um, I think the, the, well, the bar to entry has not been raised substantially uh, in, in e-commerce. Um, the bar to viability has been raised because you are going to have to get better at marketing and better communicating trust and better communicating uh, value and better at communicating your, uh, you know, your good intentions uh, in order to land clients. Because uh, as dollars become more scarce, people are going to only use them on thing. You know, they're only going to spend them in places where they they have a high degree of trust. So the the trust the the trust hurdle is much higher than it used to be. Mm -hmm. 
I get it. Um, it's very similar in Europe. Probably the economy is not it's not affected as much, but I think the U.S. economy is stronger. So, so yeah, it's it's not good anywhere. And same in China. I I could see that uh, in Q1 the economy, uh, the GDP decreased by six seven percent, I think, or even more, something like that. So. So yeah, and it will take time to yeah. To... Now, and and so so uh, I do want to say this, however, so all the macro trends are bad, right? There is economically speaking, there is absolutely nothing good happening. But that is a macro trend. Any individual business is micro, and so while you if, if you're a business, you are part of that macro trend, but not ruled by it. So you can, in fact, sort of swim against the tide and create real success if you are focused on mitigating your weaknesses. Uh, so, so if you know that people are going to have less money to spend and that you have to create more trust in order to get them to spend it, so rather than spending more dollars on on me too acquisition marketing, how are you going, you know, what are the intentional actions you're going to take to, you know, erase that trust deficit? Or what are those, what are the actions you're going to take, take to increase your post-purchase communication? What are the actions you're going to take to uh, make your customer feel good about doing business with you? And those are places where, where you can in fact make dramatic improvements and, and sort of swim against the the you know the macro tide if you will but you have to be really intentional about it and there's a lot of pretty lazy marketers in the world right now uh because the good economy and the facility of marketing and the great targeting and all that sort of stuff that was a tide that was lifting all boats and so you didn't need to be terribly good at what you did in order to be reasonably successful um and so, well, I think that the, the, you know, the, the entry, the, the, the barrier to entry has not increased the barrier to being successful, I think has. So if you are a business and you're concerned about the macroeconomic issues, you need to really focus on micro behaviors that, that, that can counterbalance those macroeconomic issues, mm -hmm. because in every economy, there is a chance to grow. Because your, you know, your business, your, if you, if you are, you know, your $10 million a year business isn't part really isn't, isn't any significant part of that macro downward calculation. So you can, in fact, you know, grow your business from 10 million to 20 million during a downturn because you do all the right stuff, not because the market is growing, but because you're doing a better job at the things you need to do. And so there, well, you can be concerned about these large macroeconomic issues. You really do have the opportunity to focus and fight against those and create growth, even, even in a downturn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is a great phrase. Only when the tide goes out, do you discover who's been swimming naked? Right. It's from from Warren Buffett. Oh, thank, and thank. By, by the uh, way, thank goodness I am not swimming naked. Holy moly, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> yeah, that's quite interesting. And and you mentioned a few trends already. Uh, the importance of communication, and uh, I think it. I think we, we both think that it will be more and more important, especially as technology will improve in the future. Um, so, <clears throat> by the um, way, that, com that communication is both pre-purchase and post-purchase. Yeah, and the other thing that I wanted to say, retention marketing will be more important than ever. Yeah. And beside these, what other trends you expect or you can see? And you've been doing this for, you know, 23 years, so you yeah. could already see a lot of trends and what to expect in the next few years. Yeah, what, so, so, uh, so things that... Our audience, they can also build on these trends. Yeah, so so I think that uh, I think that work from home is 
uh, is here to stay. And that means that you are more likely to be mobile than ever before. So, so although we are already in a mobile first marketing paradigm, we really need to start thinking about mobile only because desktops will render or laptops will render mobile well. So you need to focus almost entirely on the, the mobile user experience first. The desktop is definitely second. Uh, additionally, towards that end, um, making sure that you are on top of all of the latest payment options is super, super important. Uh, even if people are sitting in a single place, Apple Pay or Android Pay or whatever it's called is way easier than any place where I have to enter a credit card. Uh, you know, it's way easier than PayPal. Uh, so, so as a as a as a marketer, the emphasis, even though your consumer might actually have more time than they did previously, because there's going to be less commuting, I think they they will still place a premium on convenience and ease. Mostly if, and especially if they're in a working at home environment, um, you are less, you're just less focused at home than you are uh, at work in most cases, because there's other people at home. If you have children or a significant other, um, you know, that it means that you have a, a more social and a more distracted environment uh, than, than you might in an office. And so ease and convenience are going to be enormous drivers of success because if you're talking if you're trying to get someone to purchase on a mobile phone and they need to go and their your checkout is difficult you can imagine that they're gone already yeah yeah I and, also and, think and by the way especially as uh as as the global population ages a little bit uh, and certainly the 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 global western population ages a little bit i can tell you uh it's harder for me to see stuff at on my mobile phone at 52 than it was at 42. Um, and so ease is really important. And I think, and I think that is such a, a crucial, a crucial thing. So if you are a great marketer, the, you, you have to be able to uh, tap into such enormous empathy and understand where your customer is at any moment in a transaction. Pre-purchase, post-purchase, it doesn't matter. You have to have the ability to put yourself in their shoes and think like they do. And I think and, I, and as the targeting gets better and as technology gets better and the data flow is more seamless, I think it's it is it is these elements of human driven marketing and empathy that are actually going to win the day. Yeah. More than ever. Yeah. More than yeah. before. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Um, I got my first iPhone a few months ago and I started using Apple pay and it's amazing. I, I don't use my credit card anymore. So, right. well, what, and what same, with, same, same with the audio. I, I bought a Google home few months ago and i uh, use it for everything even to turn off the lights and and literally yeah. everything uh it's just yeah the the other thing that that uh it's unclear how uh it's unclear how big of a trend this will be but um i think i think high-end high-end brands uh, fashion and jewelry, especially, I think are going to be, uh, are, uh, I think they're going to have a slower recovery, even if the economy is fantastic. Uh, I think that this, uh, these several months at home have for some foreseeable point in the, you know, in the, in, you know, for some, for some, for some 
period of time coming up, I think that people will be more, uh, it will, it will accelerate sort of the, the, the casual dress. Um, uh, and I think, so I think that if, if, if you are, uh, if you were a seller of things that are primarily for other people to see and not for personal enjoyment, mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I think that your road to recovery will be slower. Yeah, that's also interesting. Probably uh, you have much more insight on this than, than me. Um, wh- what do you think? What was the reason of that? Simply because the, because it's high end. No, it's because, uh, if, if suddenly you have, uh, <laughs> if you spent the last four months, uh, only talking to your friends on zoom, okay. um, uh, first of all, you didn't, you didn't need to buy anything new. Um, and, Uh, certainly, uh, you know, here in the U S there was at least four months where people couldn't get haircuts. Yeah. Uh, and so, and so that sort of, uh, you know, those sort of the, the external appearance industry, I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think might, uh, you know, just might be slower to recover because I think everybody has gotten a little bit more comfortable being themselves. And so certainly If you are buying a, an expensive necklace to go with whatever kind of outfit you have, you know, you buy that because it makes you feel good, but you also buy it because it makes, because people, because you like the way people think of you when they see you wearing it. Yeah. yeah. And if, if, if those expectations dip, then I would expect that, uh, that some of those, that some of those, um, uh, some of those purchases might be delayed or evaporate altogether. And as a matter of fact, uh, here in the U S um, uh, the, the, the lower 80% of earners um, have, uh, have returned to almost normal retail purchasing. Um, now they're not going, they're not going out to dinner and all that sort of stuff the way they were. So that's, they're not doing, but in terms of the things that they purchase, things are kind of normal. You know, the, the, the numbers have risen uh, to the point where the, you know, people are spending about the same. That has not happened in the top 20% of earners. Uh, and, and part of that is certainly because they have more control over their lives uh, and they don't necessarily have to go to an office or, Uh, they have adapted to not traveling as much or whatever, but, uh, the, but those people are, have, have not started spending again, um, in the same way. And I would guess that we're, that they're not going to spend again in the same way for a long time, simply because they have the ability to create more safety for themselves because, because they can, because they have more resources, Uh, so they probably won't feel the need to spend them quite as much, especially if everything slows down and yeah, in terms right. of travel and that sort of stuff, because, you know, t- travel and, uh, you know, leisure activities are substantial drivers of luxury spending. But yeah. if you're, but if your spending is less on airfare hotel and, uh, you know, and, an, and a new, outfit to have dinner with the captain of your cruise ship uh it is uh you know and if you if you're thinking more about your second home um there's just a different kind of spending that happens so i think so i think high-end fashion high-end jewelry uh, arguably even you know uh you know things like high-end uh, perfume and high-end skincare might even be uh you know might be at at at, at risk of a slower recovery than than other mm-hmm. industries Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they were uh, soaring before the virus. I could see yeah. so many D 2 C brands in the luxury, you know, niches, jewelry, fashion, apparel, yeah. all of these. And it's interesting That's because, to... because luxury has really good margins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? and I think uh, Louis Vuitton, the the founder or, or CEO of Louis Vuitton, he became the second richest man in the world, the French guy, yeah. and. There is a reason behind uh, behind that, so it's interesting. Um, Tim, we yeah. talked about a lot of different things. I would still have a lot of questions, so I think we will have a second episode. Actually, um, okay, I, I, would... I charge more for the second appearance. 
<laughs> I I would I would ask one more thing from you. So, what would be the one thing that you would uh, give our our audience as an advice um, during COVID and all of these you know things happening in the world? Uh, keep perspective. So, while growing your business is crucially important, right? Because that affects your personal economy. It affects your family and the people that you buy things from. Uh, and you should grow your business. You should realize that your business is actually part of something bigger and that you need to be thinking about how your business is contributing to something bigger because it is more clear than ever that Western culture needs more from us. We've sort of let the culture run away from us a little bit. We're not terribly empathetic. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're not very generous. Um, we're not very concerned about people who are not right in front of us. And I think that the brands and companies that are going to be the most successful in attracting the best customers and the best talent are going to be those companies that are aware of their own position and are investing into their communities and investing into their customers to make their lives better. And so I think we are going to see an age where doing well by doing good is sort of the, the order of the day rather than Geez, I could really use a second Porsche. That's my that's at, at very that's my hope, anyways. But I do think, uh, uh, you know, if we're going to be brutally tactical about it, if you are if if you are looking for an advantage in marketing, it would be to be more concerned about the people that you serve. And that would be your employees and your clients. Are there ways that you can show that you love them more, that you care about them more, that you're willing to work with them more, that they are important to you? If you can, if you can find concrete ways to do that, then you're going to be a winner because at this point where there has been at least a temporary reset, that connection and that concern for someone else will be an advantage over those brands that are just racing to go back to the way things used to be. Yeah, it was a, it, it's a great piece of advice and it's, it's, a, it's a thing what easy to, you know, easy to say, but very, very hard to do. It, I it think is really hard to do because yeah. all, almost all of those all of all of the ways that you show people you care about are effort based not technology or financially based you have to be intentional you have to be empathetic and you have to be focused and it's not a simple matter of spending more or changing your price yeah yeah um tim it was a great piece of advice i think uh it was also like a great, uh, great, you know, final words for this episode. And uh, as I said, I think we will uh, have a second uh, episode because the audience and I also still have a lot of questions to ask. So thanks for, uh, thanks for coming and thanks for talking for uh, almost one hour. And uh, if anyone wants to find you where they can find you. TimKilroy.com. Tim, timkiroy.com so check it out um, check out Tim's website and we will come with the second episode as well and uh, every Thursday we come up with a we come out with a new episode so stay tuned everyone thanks Tim for uh, coming and uh, yeah thanks Daniel you're a rock star <laughs> thank you all right take care
Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ecom Show podcast. If you want to learn more about e-commerce, retention marketing, check out our Facebook group called Top 3% E-commerce Email Marketing or check out our website, thebudaimedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Buday Media. See you in our next episode and don't forget our goal. Grow your e-commerce business together.